Welcome to Is This Working? Jesus, Mary and Joseph and the wee donkey. Can we just move this thing along? Okay, hold on a minute. Let me just back up and explain. So today we've got a very special bonus episode for you all about Line of Duty. And that person who just interrupted me was not Tiffany Philippou, the usual co-host, but Chris Bannister. Long-time listeners of the show who are dedicated enough to listen all the way to when the credits roll at the end will know that Chris is our show's producer. Well, he's also my partner and we live together and we watch a lot of TV together and we're both totally obsessed with Line of Duty. Now, a couple of episodes back, Chris turned to me mid-show and said, we should make an episode of the podcast about the working dynamics of Line of Duty. And I thought that was an utterly brilliant idea. And well, here we are now. So Tiffany, who usually sits in the co-host chair, will be back next time when we'll return to regularly scheduled programming, namely honest chats about money, careers and success. But until then, today, here we are to talk about Line of Duty. Um, turning to you mid-show makes it sound like I'm the one who in- interrupts all of the Line of Duty episodes. Yeah, it's true. I like to... When we're watching the show together... Anna fancies herself as a bit of a detective... Well, so co- likes to detect on the detectives. Of course I do. I mean, I'm a journalist because I was too much of a wimp to be a detective. So I'm basically the kind of wimp's equivalent of being a detective. So whenever I watch cop shows, I um, I just love to try and be a cop. And I'm constantly like, oh, I think this, I think that. Uh, so yeah, I... yeah completely take that criticism it's usually me interrupting the viewing experience but this whole thing was your idea um and it's a really good one and it does fit with our podcast because really when you think about it line of duty it's a cop show and what is a cop show but literally a portrayal of people just doing their jobs this isn't that every show that's based around a working environment Exactly. But lots of shows, I think my point is more that lots of shows are based around working environments, but you don't really register that. Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. So, yeah, you know, if you're set in a hospital or because obviously you have shows like The Office, which are explicitly about office. Yeah, it's not much (laughs) selling paper that happens. But um, shows like Line of Duty are about people doing their jobs. Um, So, and with that comes everything you would expect from a workplace. There's jargon, there's work-life balance, there's office politics, there's gender inequality. So, although this feels like a very left-field episode, I think also one that is very much in our wheelhouse. So I'm really excited to deep dive today on Line of Duty and tackle the question, is AC12 a toxic workplace? <laughs> on with the show. Okay, let's start with the ending. So obviously before we go on with that, clearly there are going to be spoilers. I mean, I don't know why you would be listening to this if you haven't watched the final episode of the season. But let's 
talk about that now. So Ian Buckles, Buckles, fourth man, what the fuck? Did you see it coming? Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was him. No, you didn't. No, what? I didn't. Of course I didn't. No one did. No one did. It's like the writing is ridiculous because all of the theories leading up to it, I didn't see one theory that it would be the Buckmeister General. <laughs> so some context, as Chris shared, I have been hounding him throughout the entire series with my theories, which I actually did land on thinking that Philip Osborne, the chief constable, was age. I did not buy the kind of idea that Hastings was age. I thought that the show, the writing on the show is just way too smart to do a stupid twist like that. And I thought it was going to be the head honcho because the first season was about him and it was all it all started with him being a bit crooked in the sense that he wanted to cover up the um mistakes that had been made in that very first first episode first episode where um Arnold is leading this the team of um counter-terrorist police officers and they shoot they shoot and kill the wrong guy and then he tries to then philip osborne tries to cover the whole thing up so i thought it was going to do that nice arc and it was all going to end with him yeah i thought i think i was probably leading like leaning towards him as well but the only reason i thought it wouldn't be him is because like he went missing for four seasons in the middle or three seasons in the middle so it seemed a bit weak it was like the closest thing like the last thing anyone wants is for it to be someone from the outside that you haven't seen yet because that's just lazy it seemed like the closest thing towards that type of thing because they just kind of bought him in at the end again and i think that also i was just I was not disappointed at all. My mouth was quite literally on the floor when we saw Ian Buckles on the screen. And it was kind of, it was a really satisfying twist. Because if, like you say, if they just pull out someone that you've never seen before, that's just really infuriating because you can't play detective along with them. But the answer had been right there underneath our noses. In fact, actually, I think Kate even says that, which is, I don't know, I almost take as a kind of... It's almost like a nod to the armchair detectives at home yeah. that this person has yeah, been there. It's, this person's been there the whole time, and yeah. none of us have been able to figure it out. Um, That's why it's so satisfying. The writing's phenomenal on that show. It's very rare. I find it's really rare for me to watch a season finale and be satisfied by it. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, it was satisfying. It wasn't like the previous season where it was crazy but it was like a nice wrapping it up let's talk about ian buckles the character as well i mean i tell you what the reason i didn't even suspect him is because of how bad he seemed to be at his at his job his incompetence was quite literally criminal (laughs) brilliant brilliant comedy (laughs) but um but that is it's true right i mean he you can't you couldn't possibly suspect him because he was just so bad at his job how on earth could be he be the number one go-between well that's it like and ted said it in the thing it's like this whole time we're looking for some like psychotic mastermind someone who's supposed to be at the top of the top of the tree pulling strings and then they just find this kind of incompetent little weasel creature 
that like just skates by and is obviously like i guess a big clue is the fact that he rose through the ranks and it's obviously because people were pulling him up and but that is also where i think that actually ever since so ever since you brought up doing this episode i've been seeing work dynamics all over the show and i mean that in and of itself that because he still is in that interview he still comes across as being just so mediocre and this idea of just failing upwards and of course fine line of duty is about police corruption and, and systemic police corruption but it's being propped up by people who are bad at their jobs failing upwards granted it's behind the scenes criminals are pulling the strings but that happens in workplaces everywhere and so it i think it was kind of thinking about it through this work lens is also just really interesting and just adds a whole nother a whole nother layer to the problem yeah well it was a brilliant episode but it massively ruined a little game i had for you a surprise game i had for you at the end which was essentially would you rather and this whole game hinged on would you rather be managed by Buckles or Patricia Carmichael? I think we can still play that game. Okay. Because even though Buckles is... So obviously I don't want to be managed by either of them. And now I obviously don't want to be managed by Buckles because actually he's completely corrupt and has criminal links to very violent and terrifying people. Although, however, because of that, I also wouldn't want to not be on his good side. But anyway, still, nonetheless, I think if you're thinking about it in the day-to-day running of being in the office, I would still pick Buckles over Patricia Carmichael because he is the kind of boss who he's not going to help you with your career development. He's not going to grow you as an employee, but he also kind of doesn't care what you do. He'll leave you alone. He leaves you alone. Where the, where Carmichael is just on your back she's on your back on your back every second of the day micromanaging with that kind of little smirk that she just passag pat (laughs) passag pat Pat. (laughs) patricia carmichael postman pat delivering a cringe to my stomach every time she comes on screen (laughs) terrible terrible boss to have especially if you are someone who she doesn't like because you see that with ted and and i do think that this surely this will get developed in the next season because my question was one of my many theories which let's be honest i did um the seed for this was planted by me reading conspiracy theories online um conspiracy theories about the show online let me might i add that um carmichael actually is there she was closing in on the fourth man and the reason she was so she the reason she was pushing Hastings away so much was because she was actually trying to solve it because she wanted to be the one who was shrouded in glory. Um, I don't believe that. Yeah, I mean, I think we would have seen that. I think because you saw in the interview in the previous episode where she's like actively pulling them away and she wouldn't let that go if she was trying to find the, the big dog. Whereas her directive from the top was obviously to kind of portray that there's no kind of institution of criminalization whatever ted's what what's ted's line that he says about nine times an episode oh that you'll they'll be tried by the letter of the law no the letter it's like clandestine network of underground criminals there we go she um 
Osborne's directive and Pasak Pat's objective is to kind of stop that narrative in the public. So she's just being a job's worth. Well, I think that also gets into one of the major work themes that plays out in Line of Duty, which is loyalty and trust, um, which comes across in so many different ways. So it's really interesting to think about Carmichael and how she really is just the embodiment of office politics. She wants to climb the ladder. And so she is identified that the chief constable, Philip Osborne, his agenda is there is no institutional corruption. So she has aligned himself, she has aligned herself with him. And so her mission is to discredit, disprove, and ultimately completely sideline Hastings and his rogue, rogue bandy of AC-12 <laughs> police officers. And she is just not interested in having her mind changed. And I think that is something that you see so often. I mean, I have had so, have so many conversations with people where, you know, they're brought in by a company to do a job and actually it turns out that that job can't be done in that way and a, and a new direction needs to be taken. But the boss just refuses to see that because they are just so gung-ho on their vision and they just don't want to change. Yeah, I think it's a lot of that. There's also, in that type of person, there's also a lot of, I've done so much work to get to this point. There's no way I'm starting again. There's a bit of laziness surrounded by the pure stubbornness of I'm not going to be wrong in this situation. It's it's really interesting because actually when we were thinking about this episode, even though Tiffany is not here, she fed in some of her observations about the show. And she actually... Tiffany's pulling my strings. <laughs> exactly. Well, she identified how Kate never wants to give up and how um, in the first season she had... And, and she's had this kind of consistently throughout many of the seasons. She has theories that actually don't pan out to be true but she doesn't want to kind of give up and I think with Kate it's not about laziness but I think that that kind of comes from this idea of um, you've invested so much in something and you don't want to change the plan and also I think it comes from a general culture of it's not okay to fail so you just want to stick to your guns and just keep banging your head against the wall trying to prove it because you just can't admit to being wrong yeah if I'm going to fail, I'm going to do it big. <laughs> exactly. Go go out in a in a blaze of glory. Yeah. But going back to this idea of Carmichael sidelining Hastings, there's I just found it so the other thing about loyalty here is that I just found it so heartbreaking to watch someone like Hastings who has dedicated his entire career to the police force only to have this sort of wonky ending at the end of his career and being unceremoniously forced into retirement, it's just it's just so frustrating to feel it's this it's basically just comes down to this idea of the job's not gonna love you back because Yeah, I mean I I don't believe loyalty really exists between in the relationship between a person and a company, especially in massive companies, because a company is essentially just a collection of people and ideas. That sounds really wanky. It's that, true, though. That sounds really bad, but... That, I would say that's something Tiffany and I would say on this podcast. I've been listening to you too long. Yeah, I'd say where loyalty comes in, in 
especially those type of businesses is between the people and the people that you work with directly on a day-to-day basis that's where the kind of relationships and the loyalty is built and loyalty can only really be built over an amount of time but i don't think it exists necessarily between a person and kind of an organization it's not really a tangible relationship it's that's so interesting and i think it's really true and i mean you kind of see that you see that play out because it ultimately whoever is at the top of the pyramid in this case the police force they have their agenda they set it if you don't fall into line it 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 completely doesn't matter how long hastings has been there all of the good work he's done ultimately how he operates and what the party line is don't match up and so that's it he's out um the thing that i also find so stressful about watching that this show when you think about it in the work context is how you can't trust anyone in the police force in line of duty i mean of course so much of that is because that you know this is about bank coppers and apparently everyone apart from hastings uh steve and kate are a bank copper but everyone is trying to stab you in the back i mean that is just that is office politics to the utmost extreme yeah it's super exaggerated version of it yeah but that's like you go back to patricia carmichael and it's like no one wants to work with that because her loyalty is with herself and everyone can see right through it um in a normal business where it's not life and death people just wouldn't really want to work with that person and then you get into the situation where you're not invited to the pub and everyone's talking behind your back and it's just not a really nice way to exist when you're working five days a week and you spend all of your time with those people that's why loyalty is so important because when you have loyalty with the direct group of people around you that's what kind of makes you go through the hard times at work and work for each other that's why i think it's really interesting when you look at kate and steve because they kind of they are presented as being you know the sort of like work husband and wife and you know yeah they're always calling each other may and they are really driving that narrative (laughs) exactly but every sentence started with mate but when you scratch beneath the surface I'm not sure. I just think the foundations of their relationship are quite shaky. First of all, they don't actually confide in each other about their problems outside of work, which all came to a head in the season finale, where finally Steve's painkiller addiction and all of the problems he's been having all finally comes out and he's forced to tell Hastings and then also Kate finds out about it. And there's this awkward scene at the end where she says, do you want to talk about it? And he basically says no and then they don't talk about it and then kate goes and sees the occupational health expert and she talks about her own problems she didn't tell steve about them um and also they kind of there have been quite a few points where they have actually doubted each other's loyalty to one another so this sort of archetypal husband and work husband and wife relationship that is trying to be presented actually i don't think kind of stacks up i don't know i think i disagree a bit I think the foundations are quite strong. It's just their personal relationship isn't very good. But they don't have good personal relationships with anyone because their line of work is 
toxic and ridiculous so they can't really they haven't been in a position where they can show any sort of vulnerability with anyone so they're just not used to it but i think when it comes down to it they've always got each other's backs and i think they've always proven that even when there is doubt there they always come through for each other that is true that is true um also the other that i would say the person who really has people's his workers backs is hastings he is so fiercely loyal especially to steve to the point where he's quite paternalistic you know he's always calling him son yeah and he just he you can clearly see how upset and worried he was when he found out that steve was struggling but then also at the same time um i do wonder how how healthy that dynamic is because you see this happen in throughout the, you see this happen more at the beginning of the season but it's so obvious that steve is very stuck in his job and and life and life and kate had no problem leaving ac12 and going to take on a new challenge which ended up kind of not being great for her but still she went and and tried something new she left ac12 but steve stuck there and i wonder if that's because he feels this he feels this loyalty towards Hastings and kind of they have this bond that he can't let go of. Yeah, it probably is that. But it it makes me think a little bit about what we said earlier. Like he's put so much into AC12 specifically that he just can't start again. Yeah, I mean, it's that it's that thing of... Um, I think a lot of people experience this. I mean, I I kind of almost feel this in my own work where... I am kind of I'm having a sort of mini identity crisis about whether how much whether or not I still feel like I'm a journalist because that's what I've trained in that's what I've been doing for over 10 years and now I feel like I can't see a place for myself in the traditional media landscape and there's a big part of me that's still holding on to the idea that I'm a journalist partly because I've been doing it for so long. I mean, there's lots of other factors at play, of course, like so any kind of like work identity crisis, there's loads of stuff going on. But a big part of it is that I've done this for so long yeah. and it's it's really hard to then, to, to just leave that. And I think the same is true for, even if you're not having a, comp- you know, I'm not saying that Steve is wants to leave the police force, although he might have to with his back problems, we shall see. His drug problem. And his drug problem. Um, but, he wasn't even able to change squad. He was at the beginning of the season. We saw him having all these meetings with other other people because he was just miserable in his work because they were just kind of chasing up sort of doing admin basically doing, yeah, doing admin and chasing up really minor infractions. Yeah. But he didn't leave because something big came up. Yeah. Cause it got juicy. Yeah. Cause it got saucy. Uh, but still, is that just also a distraction? I don't know. Still, it's very interesting. Um, I mean, the other thing with Steve, while we're on the subject and his complete lack of any semblance of work-life balance is his painkiller addiction. And the driving force of that is the fact that his back hurts and he can't tell the doctor that his back hurts because if he does so, then he runs the risk of having his job taken away from him. And I mean, he said it to Steph in this like heartbreaking scene that it's all he has in his life is work. Yeah, and I think that's a problem that a lot of people who focus so much on one thing have. They put all their eggs into one basket and when 
that basket becomes a little bit weak that's never a metaphor that anyone's heard the weak basket <laughs> metaphor but when that when that basket becomes weak then everything else starts to crumble around them yeah for sure i mean you see it also with kate i mean at least what it was quite good i think that they ended with kate going and starting to talk about how her work has impacted her life yeah because there were various points where um you see her marriage break down and it's quite an it's quite a sort of upsetting trajectory that at first she was really struggling and then um she she was in a sleeping in her car at one point yeah that was horrendous again but i imagine that's because she can't bring herself it's so it's really shame it's very you know i'm sure it's very shame inducing she can't bring herself to to tell anyone yeah it's just it's so i found it very jarring how you had on the one hand this utter sort of loyalty between on the work front between kate and steve they're so loyal to each other to the point where they have this whole backup plan about if there is um if there's a fault in the chain of command they each have keys to each other's houses and they have a have a getaway escape and so in the work context they are so fiercely loyal to one another but then they just won't how kate couldn't just go to steve and be like mate my marriage is falling apart like can i crash on your sofa she said she's going to sleep in the sleeping bag in her car yeah it might be also because they rely on each other so much that they know they can't put anything else on that other person pretty intense okay let's talk a bit about who we think the worst bosses are in line of duty because pat postman pat (laughs) (laughs) there are some shockers so okay so yeah we've got patricia carmichael so she's i mean we talked about this she's a jobs worth yeah and she only cares about herself and she only wants to align herself with what her boss wants from her so she's just climbing that greasy pole yeah her loyalty is to herself and only that and that's not good when <laughs> when you're working with someone like that well especially in a kind of situation where you're literally risking your lives and if your boss i mean i don't even know how you would deal with a bad boss when you're in the police force um okay going back into the archives tony gates what do you think of him as a boss? oh yeah i liked him i hated him i mean he's like the worst example of boy of boys club yeah and those he let kate in yeah he let kate in but they all made those horrible sexist remarks and the, do you remember the two pints i mean that wasn't actually the half pints that, that was well <laughs> funny though but that was just because he was that was actually Tony. he had absolutely was. no idea what was going on yeah he'd never worked with a woman before but that is but that is all comes from because it wasn't actually gates who did the two half pints but that comes from the top. That comes from the fact that you've got a leader who has cultivated a boys club and this is the first time you've yeah. met a woman in. And so when she comes to the pub, you assume she wants, you didn't know, you don't know if she wants a pint or a half pint. So rather than just ask her, you give yeah. her two half pints. <laughs> that was so funny though. But on Tony, I think he would actually be all right to work for outside of the criminal aspect. Because he just like got on with it. Yeah. Oh no, though he was kind of just picking and choosing cases, wasn't he? Yeah, laddering. It's too it, laddering, yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe not so much. Um okay, I mean he was I mean I mean the consensus of this little game is that everyone is a bad boss, but um okay, what about Joe Davidson? We haven't actually talked about her much this um legend, yeah. absolute legend. You think so? Yeah. Well, she didn't really have a choice in any of her life 
Like, she was kind of just driven into this and forced. But yeah, she came through in the end. How good does witness protection look in the UK, by the way? Bloody hell. You look at how they show witness protection in the UK versus how they portray it in America. You're go- are you going off of another cop show that we love, Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Brooklyn Nine-Nine, yeah. In Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you kind of... You get stuck in witness protection, then you end up in like a small town in Florida being the manager of a Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. But then you pan over to the UK and you see Joe Davidson there. They really sorted her out. They got her a lovely little cottage, a type of cottage that you look an Airbnb and it's like a grand a night. You consider splitting it 10 ways with your mates and then you still decide it's a bit too expensive. They've got acreage of grounds and not only have they given her that they provided over girlfriend and a dog okay i don't think witness protection <laughs> provides the girlfriend and the dog uh clearly chris is um you know worried about where his uh taxpayer money is going however my counterpoint is first- imagine that you know you get that sheet at the end of the year where it tells you where your tax pounds have gone there's just a segment at the bottom. 50% of your tax has gone on manicuring Joe Davidson's lawn. Okay, also the counterpoint is Jill Bigelow, the head of legal who was having that affair with Hastings, she went into witness protection and she did not live the glamorous life. And actually it was in sharp contrast to the fact that she had this very bougie lifestyle beforehand and she was used to the finer things in life and then went into witness protection. And did was, we see her in witness? We did. She was driving this banger and living in some kind of sort of forgotten seaside town and it was quite the opposite. So how, even in line How of come duty, Joe got a ridiculous apartment that in is, the Highlands? That is an investigation that you're going to have to conduct because you see... I'll get Steve on the case. Get Steve on the case. Um, all right, okay. How about... Ted Hastings as a boss. Legend. Legend. It would be hard work. Like, you wouldn't be able to stop because he's so driven on catching bent coppers. And you don't want to let him down. You don't well, want to let him down. Which is, I think, part of the issue that he that Steve has. But then also, at the same time, Kate is nowhere near as loyal to the gaffer as Steve is. And... There was there was a couple of seasons ago where um, I must say this is a this was the one it, this was the one topic that I felt Line of Duty just handled in a bit of a awkward way and I don't think was quite as strong as what the, how they usually handle things but they tried to talk about sort of the gender inequality and how Kate wasn't being promoted and how. Ted Hastings' team didn't have very many senior female officers and there was a bit of tension between Steve and Kate and who got the promotion. And it did feel like there was some tension there around how Steve was really fiercely loyal to Hastings. However, Hastings was also seemingly giving him more opportunities. But I do think it's really interesting that Kate just doesn't seem to be quite as enamoured with Hastings as, as Steve is. And she's she's quite quick to question him. That might go back to the fact that Hastings kind of was the only one that would accept Steve after he was accused of, well, in the first episode, he was accused of... Botching the counterterrorism operation. Botching the job, and it's obviously in line with the fact that he was fighting the bent coppers. 
And interestingly, though, Kate was already there in AC12 before Steve came along. And basically, Hastings took him on under his wing. And it kind of seems like he was now... Who knows? We don't know because we don't know what life pre-Steve at AC12 looked like. But maybe Kate was the golden girl beforehand. And now Steve is a favourite. I don't know. That's me kind of definitely... Reading into it. Reading a lot into it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, of, of course, out of out of this list so far, oh, Ted Hastings, I would take him as a boss over, over anyone else. Yeah, legend. Um, okay, what about Lindsay Denton as a boss? We never really saw her as a boss, did we? Well, apart from when she gut-punched Kay when she found out that she was AC12. She took her around the back of that industrial oh, estate, yeah. punched her in the stomach. But she wasn't a boss at that point, was she? She was. She was running because she was running that squad um, and was in charge of the transport that resulted in the the ambush that then resulted in the witness protection person who actually turned out to be Tommy Hunter ending up in the hospital when all these police officers were dead. Yeah. I, didn't, I still don't really picture in my head as a boss of any type it's more of just this really determined legend that is willing to do anything to get out of the situation that she's found herself in which i think has a double-edged sword to it because she's so good at being a detective she will not hesitate to dig up all of your personal dirt and use it against you which is what she did to steve and what she did to hastings yeah she was she was such a good character yeah, I, I, I think she was one of my favourite characters. I really liked yeah. how... I think, but that's what Line of Duty is so good at. It, It's not just a kind of villain and hero show. Most of the... All of the police officers who ended up dead, who were leading units and who got corrupted along the way, they are complex characters who either were born into the kind of organised crime world... Or they did. They took one misstep, and then the gang, the organised criminal gang, leapt on them and blackmailed them, and kind of just kept forcing them and forcing them. And there, there, it was just a lot more complexity and, and nuance to it. And it, I just, I think it did a really good job of showing how it's just not a case of you, a copper is just corrupt and it's just black and white. Actually, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, they gradually suck you in. As soon as you do one job, you've got a bit of leverage and it just gets worse and worse and worse. I think Joe mentioned that in the last episode where it just starts with small things. So going back to what I thought was ruined earlier, who would you most and least likely work for out of this group of people? So what, if I had my pick of a boss, who would I want? I think this is kind of clear though. Like Ted's the obvious answer, isn't it? Yeah, I'd much rather work for Ted Hastings than anyone else. But your original question of Carmichael or Buckles... Yeah, let's just do that then. I would rather have Buckles as my boss than Carmichael. Yeah, that absolute useless liability. Exactly. You're going to... I'd rather be... I'd rather my problem be that I have to manage myself and manage upwards than constantly looking over my shoulder and worrying that if I'm not in my boss's good books, my boss being an incredible micromanager then no thanks yeah i mean if you haven't worked for someone that has a little piece of patricia carmichael in them then you're a very lucky person you had a great question for me i did indeed so 
as Anna fancies herself as a little detective, which detective do you uh, see yourself as being in this show? Which person in line of duty, which character in line of duty am I most like in the workplace? Um, Okay, so I wish it was someone, I wish I could say I was like John Corbett, you know, so committed to the job and so committed to kind of the bigger picture and being a sort of social warrior basically that I'm gonna go rogue and go underground and do all these really edgy and dangerous things but I'm just not that is not me it's bloody scary it's really scary and and quite reckless to be honest um so I think he's got kids yeah and you know he ended up dead so no obviously not John Corbett and I'm also obviously not saying that John Corbett is some kind of role model to be clear uh but unfortunately I think I'm probably like Steve because unfortunately i mean there's not many people that to go off of because a most of them are bent and b the ones who aren't or haven't been revealed to be yet are either really intense or just really bad at their jobs or incredibly self-serving and just playing the political game so that kind of only really leaves you with steve hastings and kate and um I just think I'm most like Steve. Well, I think the reason I'm saying that it's unfortunate that I've landed on Steve is because I do think he's a bit dull. Like I'm not inspired by Steve. I don't find, I'm not enthused by him. I don't think I would want to kind of necessarily hang out with him. Um, But, you know, he's really focused on the job. He's diligent. He's earnest. And I thought you were going to say he's earning. <laughs> he's, he's got earning. a new car now. He's, he's got a new racer boy car. He's earning. He's earning. He's earning. Um, I mean, I think he probably is. But, um, well, I, I don't... I mean, the joining AC12 for the money is definitely not the, not the one. Um, but... Unless you want to get into the OCG. Yeah. Buckles at his sick house. Buckles. Buckles is making some money moves. Um yeah, I mean, I think Steve is a great character, but do I want to be his pal? No, you know, he doesn't have a life outside of work. He probably is the kind of person is all he's going to talk about is work when you meet him. And he's also not going to give you any of the juicy details because he's so by the book and he he knows he knows what the rules are. He follows them. When, to, when John um, Corbett tried to sort of bring him into his sort of lone wolf operation he wanted to do it but ultimately he couldn't um and then you know on the other hand i don't think i'm kate because kate does sort of she does challenge things and she does sort of go go for things a bit by the gut and a bit gung-ho and i don't think i'm that either so i think i'm steve that's a really long answer who who are you um kate are you hastings (laughs) Um, no, I'd be Deepak. So just when a new person comes in and we go to the pub, just be very uncomfortable. Bring him two half pints. Um, yeah, I'd be Deepak. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think um, I only thought about this in a couple of episodes ago as being Steve because you said I look a bit like him. Now he's got a beard, sick waistcoat. I'd love to jump on the waistcoat train. Um, and it really clicked with me when he started ignoring really important emails. <laughs> I'm yeah. very, that is very much like me, very much like me. So in that scenario, yeah, Steve, 
But I think, honestly, the one I'm probably most like is that Chris Lomax guy. Just, you think he's a bit dodgy, you don't know why. Just haven't got to know him yet. Bit moody. Doesn't speak very clearly. When something doesn't go his way, he has a little hissy fit. And just goes into a corner and sulks. That is you. That is some real good self-awareness about (laughs) how you are. Not just in the workplace, but in life. Um... That was brilliant. I think that's a great note to end this episode on. What a debut as a podcast host. Uh, I think you've given Tiffany a run for her money. So. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chris, for being here. Chris Bannister, not Chris Lomax. Um, well. Well, we just don't know. And... Thanks for listening to this completely left field episode of Is This Working? A one off special about Line of Duty. If you liked this, rate it, share it with a friend, do all the things you need to do to pay service to the algorithm gods, and see you next time. Bye. <laughs>